game Friday morning. Presented by 105.3 The Fan. And just like that, we are off and running. Welcome to NBC5 and 105.3 The Fan's Big Game Friday morning. I am NBC5 sports anchor Pat Doney, joined as always by my main man, Kevin Gray from 105.3 The Fan. Happy Football Friday morning to you, buddy. Happy Football Friday to you, Pat Doney. Good to see you back in the saddle once again, man. Good to be back. Man, you guys, you don't even need me around here. Last <laughs> week was outstanding. I'm watching it from home, and I'm like, this is, this, you guys did a great job. That was fun to see. Uh, you guys kind of carry the load there and do great work previewing the Cowboys game against the Vikings last week. And, of course, joined by Chris Blake as well from our NBC5 digital team. CB, how we doing? Doing okay in this uh, post-Gary Patterson world that we're living in right now at TCU? We'll get there. We'll approach that later. It's good to have the balance <laughs> back in the room with all three of us here for the first time in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's going to be nice to talk football with you two again here. Missed you guys last week, and it's good to be back. You know, I mean... What a huge win for the Dallas Cowboys last week. We have to dive in right away and say that's where we start the talk because just like we all expected, Cooper Rush went on the road and beat the Minnesota Vikings, you know, in prime time. And <laughs> as took expected, that, of yeah, course. As, as a major underdog. And, man, this Cowboys team just keeps finding a way to just show that they can handle adversity. That is the thing to me that I come back to over and over and over again. Sure, there are questions about whether or not Mike McCarthy's the greatest schematic coach or if he's the best when it comes to time management, things like that. But KG, no one can argue at this point now. This guy has this Cowboys team playing in a resilient way, able to handle whatever is thrown their way, and they showed it again last Sunday night. What a win against Minnesota on the road. Yeah, I think the word that you used there appropriately was adversity and being able to overcome that adversity. You think about what they did on the road against the Chargers, winning on a late second field goal, what they did in New England, winning in overtime, using a backup quarterback and going to Minnesota for the second year in a row, using a backup quarterback and winning on the road there. So give this team a lot of credit. They continue to show us that they are a different kind of team with a special kind of chemistry that no matter what's thrown their way, they have felt that they can go into any game and win any game, and they've been proving that so far throughout this season. Six wins in a row. The Cowboys have not lost at home since November of 2020. They're going to try to continue that against the Denver Broncos on Sunday in AT&T Stadium. Uh, the Cowboys, they are 10-point favorites in that game. Right now, they're finding a way to win in different ways as well. Mike McCarthy spoke about just the fact that he feels like this team has a chance to have a special season. He's feeling that. He says the locker room's feeling that. Here's Mike McCarthy on NBC5's Big Game Friday morning. We feel like we got something really special going with our, you know, with our locker room and, and everything that's going on. But, you know, we're, we're about beating Denver. I mean, I, I think the, you know, the overview questions, the big picture questions are, you know, we have to answer them. But, yeah, I, you know, you could feel this building all the way back in, in – uh, in the spring, uh, but we're doing something with it. That's the most important part. So uh, we need to keep winning. He might have felt it back, you know, when he was saying early in the season, right? I'm not sure everybody felt that. You know, I mean, you guys know that I was optimistic about this Cowboys team's chance to be good because I thought they were going to be last year, and then they had some of the worst injury luck in the NFL. So, I mean, if that happens, you're not going to be a good team. But here they are now, and they're rolling They've got this confidence going. They're playing well on both sides of the ball. More on their defense here in just a second with Pro Football Focus's Deontay Lee. But I want to focus on the offensive side of the ball. Dak Prescott didn't play in that game. Now he's back. And it I goes without saying that what a huge boost for this Cowboys team to have their MVP caliber quarterback come back. And these decisions, as you said with me, we were talking on big game Sunday night mm -hmm. when you were live with me in studio on NBC5 after the game. These decisions always seem so smart after they work out after, right? I mean, hindsight is such a, good, a beautiful thing. But, man, it worked out great for this team. And Dak's coming back now. There's no reason to believe they shouldn't keep things going against Denver on Sunday. Yeah, one of the best offenses, if not the best offense in the National Football League, gets back its MVP candidate in Dak Prescott. And I think what impressed me most about what Cooper Rush was able to do last week, he relied on his pass catchers. Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb both went over 100 yards. And we know for Dak Prescott now, not only the balance with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, now he gets to open things back up again with his playmaker, Cedric Wilson, continuing to make big plays. He's got a lot of weapons at his disposal that Denver's going to have a lot of trouble dealing with you know, on Sunday, and that's more so because now Dak Prescott is back in the, in the mix. I just keep going back to I look at the schedule, and I'm having a hard time figuring out where the losses are for this team right now. I mean, Kansas City's not playing well. Uh, Las Vegas, the Raiders coming here on Thanksgiving. They have so much they're going on. They're having to deal with 
off the field there the last few weeks. I mean, tough games against Arizona, but I think they're beatable as well. This Cowboys team is likely going to be favored in just about every single one of their games left, except for on the road at Kansas City, which is now seeming much more winnable than it did before the season. Maybe the game at New Orleans on Thursday night, that's a tough place to play, but I still think Dallas would be favored in that game. I mean, what do you think? I, I think so. When you start looking at their schedule, you've got Denver this week at home, then you've got Atlanta the following week, and then you're playing Kansas City, Las Vegas on Thanksgiving Day. It may not be until December, realistically, if, especially if you feel like the Cowboys are – the Chiefs defense is not very good. So when yeah. they go to Kansas City, this gonna they're going to go tit for tat offensively, and I would not be surprised if the Dallas Cowboys walked out of Arrowhead Stadium with a win. But that's how good this offense is and the way that they're able to turn teams over. That gives them a legitimate shot to think that they may not lose until they get to the month of December, potentially. Just like we all expected of back course. in August. Of course. Chris did. Nobody Chris had did, though. any he did. doubt. That's where I was. Yeah. <laughs> not, not Pat. Right? Losing week one and then winning like yes. 14 Six straight games. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I mean, this Cowboys team is clearly playing like one of the best in football. Uh, they are currently third in offensive DVOA, sixth in defensive DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. They're the fifth best team in football right now, and they're close with the other four teams ahead of them. They're clearly a Super Bowl contender, but of course a big reason that they are so good and they're playing so well overall is because their quarterback, Dak Prescott, just keeps on showing that they made the right choice in pay Dak, pay Dak. It was a big debate. You know, do we pay Dak? Well, they paid Dak, and Dak is showing that he was well worth the money. Now he's back from the calf injury. He said he's good to go is expecting to play and return in this game Sunday against the Denver Broncos. Dak gave us a bit of an update at the Star in Frisco earlier this week. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I want to play in the game. Uh, I want to play in every game. Uh, it's, it's a blessing to, to do this, and every opportunity that we get to go out there, you don't get many of them, you want to take, take advantage of it. But in the same sense, um, I got over it quick. Uh, to, I knew the perspective, and I knew where we are coming from, and this is a long journey, and we're a team that we can play for a long time. We can play into that last game, and so I had to think, keep and think that in mind uh, when the decision was made. Playing to that last game, not shying away from the high expectations right there. Dak Prescott pointing out right there. You know, he, They believe that they are a Super Bowl contending team as well. I guess we should expect them to feel that way with the way that they're playing. But we need to talk about the guys in front of him now who are in charge of blocking for Dak Prescott because it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride so far this year. It's worked, you know, but Terrence Steele staying at right tackle when Lyle Collins is back from his suspension. Now there's a bone spur in the ankle of Tyron Smith, and he's likely to miss the game on Sunday. Who plays left tackle? You know, I mean, I know Lyle Collins hasn't played left tackle in the NFL, but to me that seems like the guy who I would slide in at left tackle, even though he's normally played right tackle because you're not using him. He's watching the games from the sidelines. Overall, though, I mean, it's just kind of a jumbled mess situation right now. Mess is probably the wrong word because it's gone pretty well to sure. this point. But it's definitely confusing. Let's put it that way. I mean, they have <laughs> options on the table, and you just don't want to mess it up at this point. You know, it's interesting to say that because Dak Prescott himself gave us some clarity on who is going to be playing left and right tackle on Sunday. Terrence Steele is going to be playing at left tackle, while Leo Collins is going to be back at his right tackle spot. So I think for me, having Collins back on that right side alongside Zach Martin is really going to stabilize that offensive line. Terrence Steele took a lot of the reps when he in training camp over on that left side. So he is more used to playing on that side of the line. I think a more natural fit for him to be able, if he had to, to get back on that left side of the line aside uh, Connor Williams. So we'll see how it works out on Sunday. But yeah. to have the Leo Collins back there, I think, is, is good for the Cowboys. Terrence Steele is one of the most improved players in the NFL this year. Agreed. I mean, he's, he has absolutely exceeded everyone's expectations. And, you know, credit to the Cowboys coaching staff. They believed in Terrence Steele when no one else believed in Terrence Steele last year, he was bad. And everybody, I remember speaking to a couple of reporters at the Star in Frisco before their game against the Chargers, and they were going to put him out at right tackle against Joey Bosa and thinking like, this is, this is not good. This could be a, uh, you know, a situation like they had against the Falcons with Chaz Green a couple mm -hmm. of years ago against Joey Bosa. This is going to not, this would be terrible for your quarterback. And he goes out and he played great, you know, and, and he's been good to this point. Not as good as the all pro that we saw in Lyle Collins before, but if he's a guy who ends up being your long-term plan there at tackle in some way, then good for him to keep on playing well and take advantage of the opportunity. Uh, here's Terrence Steele and Zach Martin talking about the situation right now where he's staying in the lineup, and they're having to kind of mix things up and, and just move and shuffle pieces around as Tyron Smith is likely to miss the game Sunday. I think it shows they got a lot of trust in me and they a lot, a lot of trust in my beliefs, and 
just know that uh, I'll, I'll take care of that position if they need me to go over there. We're fortunate. We've got a lot of guys on our offensive line who have played a lot of um, significant snaps. So um, I think right now we're just trying to find the right combination to go out there and, and, and compete on Sunday. Well, they're finding it because they keep on winning, you know, and it's and they're and they're handling pretty good defenses. I mean, for example, the Vikings, Vikings are a good defense, you know, and they didn't have any problem running the football. They didn't have any problem in the passing game in the second half with Cooper Rush throwing the ball. Cooper Rush with that dime to Cedric Wilson down the middle for the 73-yard touchdown was a great play there. But all in all, I'm just going to give a lot of credit to this Cowboys coaching staff right now. They have this group ready to go, and the confidence seems to be really rolling at this point. But don't take my word for it. Uh, I'm going to get right now to Ezekiel Elliott was interesting when he was asked about, hey, what is it like to win a game like that with your backup quarterback on the road last week? What does it do for this team's confidence? I thought his response was pretty interesting. Here's Ezekiel Elliott on Big Game Friday morning. I think before that win, we, we felt like we had something special going on, uh, but you know, it definitely uh, you know, adds to our confidence. And um, I mean, we just got to do a good job of just you know, handling success and, and making sure we're uh, doing everything week in and week out to make sure we're ready to go play and put our best, our best uh, football out there on Sunday. And the thing that I keep coming back to is that this Cowboys team is showing the ability to win in different ways. If a team says, hey, we're going to play too high, we're going to be back, we're going to you know, play this high shell, they're just like, okay, we're going to run the ball with, with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard and 12 personnel. They're going to run this duo play, and, and, and outside, inside zone, doesn't matter. They're going to find a way to run the football and just force you to come out of that shell to come down. And then once you finally come down, well, now you have to choose who you're going to try to slow down. CeeDee Lamb, mm-hmm. Amari Cooper. You're doing all of this without Michael Gallup, who could be back this week. And then you throw in the way Cedric Wilson has played to this point. They're just dangerous in a whole lot of ways, and it's been a lot of fun to watch the offense for this Cowboys team right now. Yeah, I think that's the best part of watching this Cowboys offense operate this year is that no matter what you try to do schematically against them, they have a way to counter that. Whether you try to take away the run, you can go over the top with guys like CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. If you try to take away what they do in the passing game, Tony Potter and Ezekiel Elliott have been dominant in the ground game. They are able to exploit any kind of mismatch or any matchup that they feel like, and the way that they have adjusted so far this season, it causes a lot of defensive problems because you have to account for so many different things offensively for the Cowboys, and that's fun to watch when you know that you're that good on offense every week. Let's flip it to uh, the defensive side of the ball for this Cowboys team and the way that they've played and welcome in our first guest in the show. Uh, Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to speak with Deontay Lee, who's a fantastic follow on Twitter. He writes for Pro Football Focus, an analyst there. Here's my conversation with Deontay Lee, mainly focused on the Dallas Cowboys defense. Okay, and now a great opportunity, a huge treat here for the Big Game Friday morning show to welcome in Deontay Lee, who writes for Pro Football Focus. He's a high school football coach in Arizona. He is also the co-host of the Too High podcast. Love his stuff on Twitter. You can follow him at PFF underscore D Lee. Deontay, great to have you on the show, man. Thank you for what you do. And, man, I want to dive right in. This Cowboys defense to this point has been a huge surprise to just about anybody in the NFL. They're sixth in defensive DVOA right now. They were 23rd last year. What are you seeing from Dan Quinn and this Cowboys defense that really stands out to you has been the biggest change from last season to this season? I think it kind of starts with the willingness to borrow from things that are working for other people. Um, So, you know, the biggest thing for him, you know, is kind of that his reputation preceded him on the way into Dallas, right? Like what we all think of, I think, um, you know, as kind of the peak and the valley of what a Dan Quinn defense is, is uh, the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 51, I believe that was in 2017, right, or 2016, um, where they build up this big lead. They're playing a bunch of man against New England, and then eventually it all falls apart. And then you see him really kind of lean into what the, what that defensive identity was in Atlanta when he had all of his best guys there um, and it not working. So I will say, you know, for me, I was very skeptical when he was announced to be the defensive coordinator because I was just unsure from a personnel perspective whether or not Dallas would even have the amount of time necessary to build up what he typically needs to run that kind of legion of boom, very heavy, you know, cover three, cover one defense. Um, And then I just didn't know, you know, whether or not this era of football lended itself um, for a defensive coach to be successful, you know, in, in this new modern context. And I think that what we're seeing from him now is an ability to borrow from things that you maybe would not have seen so often. You know, he, he had always run cover two 
you know, as kind of like a change-up third and long type of deal, which you're seeing a lot more of that now, um, you know, on a more regular basis than just like a specific situational thing. And then you see a lot more of the cover four stuff. And I think what that does, and you see it a lot with like Trevon Diggs, is that gives corners the ability to be aggressive because you're not only asking them to do one thing. Saying, you know, with all the defensive backs, but specifically with Diggs, you know, with his string of interceptions, you know, early in the season, it just it liberates guys to really go out and attack. You know, I think that you know, the the identity of that Legion of Boom stuff is like we're not giving up any explosive plays, right? And I think that there's still a place for that. But to have players who are athletic and they have some freak athletes, you know, based on size, height, weight, and speed, um, I think that it, it's been fitting that he's put guys in positions to where they can really tear off up the field for the guys who are in the front four and that he's really calling the kind of coverages you need to let these corners go out and attack, you know, and these safeties to go out and attack and take what they see and try to go be playmakers. That's been a really impressive um, wrinkle for, for Quinn and not something I would have expected coming into this year. And he deserves a ton of credit for that because, I mean, how many times have we seen NFL coaches who are lifers who say, oh, I'm going to reinvent, I'm going to start something new, and then they show up and by week three, we're seeing the exact same thing they've always done. No, he took that time off last year after being fired by the Falcons and has clearly said, I'm going in a different direction. And one example is he told me he's never run quarters in his life. I mean, they're running quarters now here in Dallas. It's crazy to see different things that he's doing. You mentioned the freak athletes. I wanted to ask your perspective about Micah Parsons, who falls in that category. NFC Defensive Player of the, of the Week this week after his performance against Minnesota last week. You know, man, I was there at Ford Center at the Star in Frisco when he was announced as the draft pick. It wasn't booze, but it was kind of like this, like, groan that was there because, oh, it's a linebacker, and I get they're like, But, dude, this guy is not your typical linebacker with his speed and his power. What are you seeing from Parsons and from an X's and O perspective? What makes him so special on the field? Well, when they made the pick, I, I will say that I was probably a lot like the Dallas fans, where I wasn't necessarily booing, but it definitely raised my eyebrows. Um, not necessarily because he's not athletic enough to succeed in the NFL. That was, you know, I I figured he'd be successful no matter what. It was more so trying to figure out where he fit um, within this roster. Um, and again, given what I thought about what Dan Quinn would be as a coach, I mean, I think that what you've seen is what I was hoping, you know, best case scenario for Parsons, which is an ability to move him around and just ask him to do whatever it is at the second level that you need done defensively. So, you know, whether it's, you know, coming down to being the edge rusher because other edge rushers are hurt and you can see him tear off up the field, you know, and show a lot of those athletic traits, whether it's fitting the run, you know, as a linebacker, you know, when he had that opportunity, those having that kind of versatile skill set, it lends itself to what we were just discussing with Quinn, which is, having more of a menu in terms of your play calls that you can feel confident in because you have players like that. You know, you add what he is athletically to what they already had up front, you know, in terms of pass rush. And now you're looking at, okay, we have these huge, fast, explosive, twitchy athletes at every level of the defense. Um, and that just allows you to say, hey, we can call cover four, even if that's not something that I'm particularly comfortable in as a coach, because we've got the guys who can handle it. Um, and that, that's been a big thing for me. With Parsons specifically, it's just, you know, that, that baseline ability to be able to do anything you ask him to do from an athletic perspective. And having that in your defense, especially a guy that can do that and spends all his time close to the football, um, that's, that's huge. And I, the more I watch of him now, the more sure I am that he's going to be an impact player just like this, if not better, for, for the next, you know, five to eight years of his career. And you mentioned the athleticism there and the different things that it allows Quinn to do. And, and to kind of get into the nerdy part of our conversation right now from the Nexus and O perspective. Um, you know, I heard you talk recently about creepers. This is kind of a thing that's a new thing and not a new thing in the NFL, but it's becoming more of a fad, I guess, or a new common thing to see consistently. And I saw it last week, you know, for, with Dan Quinn against Minnesota. They've got, you know, five guys lined up at the line and all of a sudden everybody drops except for a safety and a defensive tackle are rushing. And I'm watching, I'm watching Bradley and I and, you know, Randy Gregory in coverage. Can you kind of explain this new fad, this new thing that, again, is not a new thing, but this creeper concept, what it means and how it works maybe for the average football fan who's watching right now? Right. So um, there was once, I want to say it came from Dick LeBeau. This was maybe in the mid to early 90s. 
and people were, he was being asked about his scheme and the way that he blitzes. And uh, for people who don't remember or, you know, were not around for that, there was once a point in time where anytime you blitz, you were playing man-to-man coverage, basically. That used to be the way the NFL was run. And LeBeau was a pioneer because he ran zone blitzes, right? And his his reasoning for it was, and what he called it was, is a safe a safe blitz, meaning that you are not investing all of your resources on getting after the quarterback. You're not investing all your resources and coverage on playing as tight as possible to receivers. Um, so that was kind of the way the way that the NFL has been basically for the last twenty to twenty five years. And now what you're seeing in creepers, which is what you were mentioning is just the next extension of that. So now in a more spread out NFL, even running a zone blitz now is a high level of investment because these quarterbacks are so good and these wide receivers are so good that they can find these open areas to throw the football into and get these easy completions, right? Like what's the book on every elite quarterback? And Dak Prescott falls into this mix as well. It's that you can't really blitz them, right? Because they are so mentally prepared for what you can send in terms of pressure. They know exactly where to go with the football. They know exactly how to check the protection to be able to pick it up, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea of a creeper or simulating pressure is giving the, giving the offense the impression that you are making a high investment in making a play in the backfield. But what you're really doing is rushing four or three and playing the same kind of coverages that you would be if you were only you know rushing your defensive linemen. So you're taking that unconventional rusher, you know, in your example, it could be a safety. I've seen corners. You, you may see like your slot defender. So like another, like a nickelback type of guy. Um, and it, there are all these different ways that you can configure it with your front in order to try to get a free rusher. And if you don't get a free rusher, who can get a TFL or sack. You still have seven or eight guys in coverage that can kind of protect you. So you're not just giving up those quick hot throws, you know, to a wide receiver like a CD lamb, right? who can make a catch and then go get 24 yards after the catch because of who he is athletically. you got to have guys that are still around the ball to be able to take that kind of stuff away, and that's what creepers give you the ability to do. It's just not as high an investment in pressure. It's just creative, too, and the creativity exactly. is awesome to see. It, you know, and we saw that. I don't know if you saw the Manning cast on Monday night when Peyton Manning and Eli Manning are talking about what the Giants are doing. You know, rushing three, playing Tampa two with what Peyton was calling a P-dropper. I'd never heard that phrase before. You know, but just it's just finding a way to try and make these quarterbacks, who you mentioned, are fantastic and are so prepared. How do we try and get them to hesitate just for an extra half a second, extra second? I think that is one of the keys uh, in the NFL right now to succeeding on defense. I want to wrap things up with uh, Deontay just talking with you, man, about we're going to switch from the NFL to college real quick. Here in North Texas, Gary Patterson's, you know, kind of out of nowhere decision to leave TCU slash I don't know if he was pushed out, whatever the circumstance. He's no longer there with the Horn Frogs. So many football fans here in DFW know Gary as a great football coach who won a lot of games at TCU and kind of put that program on the map. But I'm not sure they realize just how great he was from a schematic standpoint. And this is one of the godfathers of defense in modern football right now, right? You wanted to speak a little about what Gary did uh, for modern defensive football, not just in college football, but on every level. Yes, I will say that. It is not a hyperbole to say that he is maybe the second most transformative defensive coach um, in the modern era. So post-2000, I would say. I would say it's Nick Saban at one and Gary Patterson at two. And while that is high praise, it's not hyperbole at all. Um, And without getting too much into the weeds, what I can say is the way that he has structured, that he structured his defense over the last couple of decades allowed a school like a TCU not only to be able to recruit guys that maybe weren't big enough or maybe weren't tall enough, maybe didn't weigh enough to go to a Texas or an Oklahoma, but still were able to play. He had a defensive structure that could lend itself to getting those guys on the football field. You know, you take his ability to develop talent defensively um, and stack that on top of it. And then you have this scheme, which is basically like, it's just an evolution of a four, three, the ability to use what you would typically see from like your Jimmy Johnson, old school, you know, mid-90s to late um, or early 2000s kind of cover four defense and being able to use different body types for that. And there are all these different variations within it that he was able to get to to be able to play against, you know, a Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, a team that, you know, was outsized by Wisconsin by like 100 pounds for lineman for lineman and be able to stop the run against a team like that. And then also in 2014, be able to play a team like Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl, you know, with all of these, 
4-4 running 6-2, 6-3 wide receivers, this big SEC offensive line, and this great quarter, this quarterback who's having a great year, and hold them to three points, right? By far the worst day. This is a team that beat Alabama that we're talking about, that he ended up dominating in the Peach Bowl. And you don't get to that point without having the kind of defense that you, the kind of defense that he does, which is, uh, in a word, it is transformative. If you want to talk about influence, you can go anywhere in the country. And if you hear the words 425, I can almost guarantee you that the school TCU was going to come up shortly thereafter when you want to talk about how, you, how a team is running that or what the influence is um, coming from that. It's by far, like I can speak for myself as a coach, by far the biggest influence on me. I constantly use the same resources I did when I got started as a coach, a lot of it coming from Gary Patterson to this day um, to reinforce some things. Um, because what he did is something, it's like, in, in a word or in a phrase, the best way I can say it is it is the perfect underdog defense. And that is the reason why TCU was as successful as it was, not only in um, the Mountain West, but coming over to the Big 12 as well. Very high praise there from Deontay Lee. Appreciate him joining us here on Big Game Friday Morning. Again, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore D Lee. He's a great follow. I learned something from him just about every single week. X's and O's. He knows the defensive side of the ball extremely well. Also, his podcast, Too High, with Seth Galina, is a fantastic listen as well. Talking uh, defense on every level, NFL and college football mostly, but you know just schematics, things like that in general. A great, great conversation there and interesting thoughts that he had there on Gary Patterson. We're going to get to Gary Patterson here in just a minute, but we're going to talk a little NFL and the trade deadline. One deal that happened just before the deadline earlier this week and another that's not a trade it's kind of a surprising release though uh we'll start with what's just happening this morning on friday morning that's odell beckham jr has been released by the cleveland browns according to multiple reports and so now he's going to enter this waiver process and and we have some thoughts as to where he might end up you know i don't think any of us believe that the dallas cowboys are on that list you know with the receiving depth that they have but odell beckham jr is a very talented player kg Give me, give me three or four teams you think might be landing spots for OBJ. Uh, released on his 29th birthday today. Happy so, birthday. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess he gets his free freedom from uh, Cleveland. Uh, the five teams that I have, based on needs, what they might need in terms of uh, receiver help, I got the Raiders at number one. They don't really have a true number one wide receiver there. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, for me, coming at number two. The Buffalo Bills, the Atlanta Falcons, and the New Orleans Saints. My favorite of those Five and folks are not going to like it because it's like Kevin, don't do that because it's a direct competition with the Cowboys. I think he would be a fantastic fit with the Green Bay Packers alongside Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers in that offense. Devontae Adams commands so much attention that I think it would allow Od Odell Beckham Jr. to flourish on that offensive side, even at 29 years of age and looking for a new start. I don't know if I'd want to go to Green Bay right now. With with all the questions about Aaron Rodgers and his availability the rest of the season, yes, it might be a fine. Might, but, you know, the NFL could also drop the hammer. You know, they're with the misleading reporters, the multiple shots of him, you know, at press conferences on the sideline, not wearing the mask. That's a whole other conversation for another time. But the point is, I, I kind of think that the team that, that would make a lot of sense from a, a handful of reasons, not every reason, but I really think the Rams might be interested. You know, and I, I think because they're going after all the superstars. If you are a superstar and you are disgruntled and you are talented and you're interested in living in Los Angeles and playing for the team that's probably the favorite to win the Super Bowl right now with a star quarterback and one of the best coaches in the NFL, come on down. You know, come on down to SoFi Stadium. The Rams will take you there. And you look at them, and I know they have Cooper Cup, and I know they have Robert Woods, and Van Jefferson now is going to slide into that Deshaun Jackson situation after they released him earlier this week. OBJ's not Deshaun Jackson. All right, he's a lot more talented <laughs> than Deshaun Jackson. And to get the opportunity to go and play with that team that just added Von Miller, and that's who we're going to next, I mean, this is a team that is really right now zigging when a lot of other teams are zagging. Quickly before my Von Miller take, I, I just want to get your thoughts on the Rams and being a fit for OBJ. I think you, you might think I'm a little crazy. I don't know if there's enough footballs to go around in Los Angeles. You kind of laid out the receivers that they have there. Cooper Cup just won NFC Offensive Player of the Month for the second time already this season, and I think Stafford's got a really good rhythm with the receivers that he has. So while it would be intriguing, now the thing is Beckham has to clear waivers, and right now as it sits, the, uh, the Rams sit 30th in the, uh, the waiver order. So if no of the first 29 teams put a claim on him, maybe the Rams could snag him up. But uh, I think he, uh, he might wind up with a, 
one of those few teams that we talked about. All right. I, I think New Orleans makes a lot of sense, you know, on your I list there. Too. I mean, from Louisiana, went to LSU. The Raiders make some sense, too, for sure. And then, you know, another team that might be a sleeper is the Seattle Seahawks. Just watch out and see if maybe mm-hmm. he wants to go up there and join Russ after he gets back from his injury. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, that could be a pretty dynamic receiving core up there. I want to quickly talk about the trade, and it involves the Cowboys this week um, because they no longer have to face Von Miller as he is no longer a member of the Denver Broncos. The former DeSoto High School and Texas A&M star traded from the Broncos to the L.A. Rams. He has one year left on his deal. This season is the final year of his contract. And the Broncos decided to pay $9 million of his $9.5 million salary in exchange for a second and third round draft pick in the draft in 2022. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I find this this conversation and this strategy that the Rams have right now absolutely fascinating in multiple so so follow me on this here okay and i'm gonna get to this quickly because maybe only i think it's interesting but you know we'll just get through it the rams have decided to as i said a second ago they are zigging when everyone else is zagging the entire nfl all 31 other teams in the league the number one way the currency is draft picks you have to build through the draft everything goes through the draft the draft the draft the draft the draft And the Rams have decided, you know what? They can all go that way. We're going to go and trade our draft picks for proven stars. We're going to trade our first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey. We're going to trade our first-round pick and Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford. We're going to go trade a second- and third-round pick for Von Miller to add into the mix with Aaron Donald and this outstanding coach in Sean McVay. And everybody seems to be phrasing it as, the Rams are all in in this season, and they're mortgaging their future to try and win the Super Bowl right now. But are they? They haven't ever had a first-round pick since 2016. Yeah, Jared true. Goff was their last first-round draft pick. Last year, they had one top 100 draft pick. You know who it was? Tutu Atwell from, Lu- from Louisville. He has like <laughs> six catches this season. He's not doing anything for that team. They have decided to, to take this approach, and I love this. I have no idea if it's going to work, but they believe we will take your disgruntled star in exchange for draft picks because we don't necessarily know if draft picks are going to work out. How many? So, so, okay, Denver gets that second and third round draft pick from them, okay? Top 100 picks. Congratulations in today's NFL. And since Jimmy Johnson changed the NFL world with the Herschel Walker trade, everybody who is an executive in the NFL will tell you, oh, that's a great get for Denver to get that for the final year of, of Von Miller. But are we sure the second and third round draft pick are going to work out? I would, I would think that most NFL executives would have told you the Miami Dolphins were geniuses with the way that they rebuilt their team. Mm-hmm. Got all those picks. You know, oh, we're going to build. They're getting ready to blow it up again. You know, and so the reason I think it's interesting is because they're the only one doing it. And it's kind of like the Major League Baseball conversation with tanking and the NBA as well. Mm-hmm. Tanking is only effective if not everybody else is tanking. Once there are 14 tankers, then you're going through a terrible bombed season for potentially having the 10th pick in the draft, and was it really worth it? So right now, as long as they're alone in it, I think that it's fascinating, and I'm not necessarily sure that it is mortgaging their future because they keep bringing in guys. Matthew Stafford's going to be the quarterback for a while. Mm -hmm. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey are going to play for a while. I know Von Miller's in the last year of his deal. Maybe they franchise tag him after this season. Cooper Cup's under contract for a while. And then you have Sean McVay kind of helping with the veteran minimum guys who want to live in L.A., who are chasing a championship, and the lower draft picks. Tell me why I'm crazy. I I love this strategy. And, again, I don't know if it's going to work, but I don't think that this is just them chasing a one-year Super Bowl run. I think that they actually have something here that might be might actually work because it's so different than what everybody else is doing. Yeah, GM Les Need has taken the, the approach that, like, we're just going to put it on the credit card. We'll worry about it later, and we'll trade for guys. And I think Von Miller's situation is unique because, as you mentioned, the final year of his contract, Denver probably wasn't going to re-sign him anyway for them to get a second and a third for a guy who was on in the, uh, the final year of his deal. And then the factor, I think what folks underestimate is you get to play and live in Los Angeles. So there's going to be a lot of things that are attractive about living and playing in Los Angeles. You've got a good football team with a good head coach who feel like they're all in in terms of the direction that they want to go to. And you're right, there is no guarantee that draft picks work out, but if you can get proven veteran guys who are on the same page, it reminds me a lot of how the Boston Celtics approached their situation with Kevin Garnett, you know, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, guys who hadn't done a lot together separately in terms of winning championships, 
But they're like, you know what, let's just come together to see what we can do and try to win a championship together. I just feel like that's what the Rams are. We're going to bring all these veteran guys in. We've got a young team with some veteran players that we feel like we can win a championship with, and we see what we can do this year in the next couple of years. It may be mortgaging your near future, but in terms of trying to win a championship, that's what it's all about. And trying to stay relevant in Los Angeles is also, I think, an important factor here, too. And again, I don't know if they're mortgaging their future that much because they have decided – that they just don't care about draft picks. And again, they haven't had a first-round pick since 2016, and they're good every single year. They found a way to navigate that, and that was with Jared Goff playing quarterback. Now they have Matthew Stafford, who's playing at a level that, I mean, he's, to me, the favorite to win the MVP right now. He's playing quarterback at the highest level right now in the NFL by just about every statistical measure so far this season. They just, they're, they're again, they're zigging when everyone else is zagging, and I know that that's a lot to go on the Rams right now here in Von Miller, but I just I thought it was interesting, and I'm curious to see if more teams follow that approach because then what typically happens if it does work, if they win a Super Bowl, and if they're still good for a few more years, other teams will try to mimic it, and then when they mimic it, then there's multiple teams doing it. It doesn't work as effectively, and then a team goes outside the box in another way and tries to find – and so it's just that constant game of trying to stay one step ahead of what everybody else is doing. Um, speaking of that, you know – the, the Kansas City Chiefs kind of felt like that team that was going to be the great ones, you know, again, every single year. Pat Mahomes, we still we still all believe that Patrick Mahomes is a great player, but here they are, you know, they're, they're barely beating teams like the New York Giants. They catch a little bit of a break, a little bit, a huge break in the fact that Aaron Rodgers is not going to be available when the Green Bay Packers travel to Kansas City this week. I don't know, Chris, I mean, when I look at it, this, this, uh, <laughs> this Chiefs team, I'm almost ready to say it. I'm almost ready to say that they might not be who we, you know, I know they're not who we they're thought not, they were. But not I, the Dennis Green. I, right. I, I might be willing to say that. I don't think that they're good. You know, I mean, I think I'm ready to say it. We're in November now. No, we've been saying for weeks now that we're not going to write them off until there's the little E next to their logo in the standings. But it's getting to that point. This division, now that the Raiders are in a little bit of a, I don't want to say a free fall, but there's a lot of uncertainty around that team right no now. Doubt. No doubt. So maybe this division opens up a little bit. But we were talking about before we came on today that their offense just isn't moving the ball and they're not willing to take what the defenses are giving them. Teams are just setting two safeties back and saying, you can have anything in front of them. Tyreek Hill is not running past us. So, but Patrick Mahomes has continued to try to force the ball deep. Right. Right. So until they start being willing to go dink and dunk their way down the field, put together these longer drives, you know, we're used to seeing Patrick Mahomes sometimes rack up four or five touchdowns in the first half. You know, their teams are limiting the number of possessions for Kansas City, uh, and you know the the decision making needs to adjust to account for that. The book is officially out. I mean, it started with the Super Bowl with the way that the front four got to Patrick Mahomes, and basically the Buccaneers just said to them. We don't believe you're going to be patient. We don't believe that you are willing to win this game with your running back being the star of the game. And other teams are following that. You know, they're doing the exact same thing, and they're right. I mean, to this point, Patrick Mahomes is not willing to say, you know what, I'm going to check it down for 10 yards over and over again. I heard Bill Barnwell from ESPN say the other day, it was interesting, he said, uh, you know, the Chiefs are not willing to take the easy first downs on checkdown plays because it's not fun, it's not exciting, whereas like the Jets and Jaguars would be begging for easy first downs. You know? <laughs> and so, and, but, I mean, the Chiefs are so good and so talented that they're not willing to take it. I think it's interesting, and with the Cowboys getting ready to play them in a few weeks, I'm absolutely watching it. I did want to ask your perspective, KG, on this, uh, on this Aaron Rodgers and now Jordan Love. Here he comes. What happens if Jordan Love plays well? I mean, what happens if Aaron Rodgers gets suspended for, say, three, four weeks and Jordan Love is good? I mean, can you imagine a more juicy storyline <laughs> right there? And then you throw OBJ in there because you want OBJ going to go play with him. I, I, don't, well. I don't want him yeah. there because hey, that would be, hey, you know, hey, against, hey, you know hey. the Cowboys. But look, leap. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Look, Jordan Love has a real opportunity here to prove to a lot of folks, and especially Matt LaFleur, that he is the guy that will be eventually the heir apparent you know, to Aaron Rodgers. And if he does happen to get suspended or something like that, you know, Jordan Love will get multiple opportunities. Him and Devontae Adams, who's off the COVID-19 you know, 19 list now, will have a chance to gain some rhythm together. But uh, once Aaron Rodgers is ready to come back, 
that's going to be Aaron Rodgers' team, you know, as soon as of he's course. back on, on the field. But this is a true opportunity, though, for Jordan Love. Though. No question to show that, that, you know what, when they do likely move on from Aaron Rodgers after this season. That he can be the guy. He yeah. can be the guy. And here's the thing. High-profile game against a terrible defense. I mean, it really has aligned perfectly for Jordan Love to have this awesome performance, build his resume, then sit back, let Aaron Rodgers finish the season out, and then be ready to go to take over the starting job next year, likely, there in Green Bay. Uh, quickly, if the Super Bowl were today, who do we have in the Super Bowl if the Super Bowl were today? Chris, I'm putting you on the spot. You're first. Go. I'm not changing my picks from the last couple of weeks. I'm sticking with the Rams and the Bills. Uh, and the Rams case, I think, just keeps getting a little bit stronger. I'm going to go with the Rams and the Titans. Titans? Wow. Yeah. I'm going to go with Derrick Henry. Why do you hate Derrick Henry so much? I know. That's, <laughs> look, that's the thing. And I, I want, this is what I'm really interested to see. I'm interested to see how the Titans now with no Derrick Henry, if they really stay committed to the run game the way that they were with Derrick Henry now that they've signed Adrian Peterson. That's what I'm interested to see because you know what you're going to get from A.J. Brown and you know Julio Jones and those guys. Are they as committed to the run with an older Adrian Peterson as they were with Derrick Henry? That's going to be the storyline for me going forward now. I'm sticking with the Cowboys and the Bills. I had them a few weeks ago, and I still think the Cowboys have shown the ability to handle adversity in the way that other teams have not had to do it. Does it mean the Rams are incapable of handling adversity? Of course not. But if Aaron Donald goes down, if Aaron Donald goes down, you know, if, if Matthew Stafford misses a game, I don't have, you know, we don't know. We don't know if the Rams are going to be able to handle something like that. We now know that the Cowboys can handle being out without being without Lyle Collins. They can handle with that being without Dak Prescott on mm-hmm. the road against a decent team in Minnesota. So right now, I think if you had to pick one, I think it would be a fantastic game if they played each other for the NFC Championship between the Rams and the uh, the Cowboys. But I still have the Cowboys in. And I think the Bills right now, it would be a major shock if they are not the team in the AFC that makes the Super Bowl because really it's the Bills and it's just a bunch of other just kind of above average teams. You know, the Ravens, the Chargers, uh, the Titans. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know, man. You know, it's right now the NFC team, if it's not the Bills, would be favored, you know, pretty heavily, I think, in the Super Bowl, um, depending on who it would be in that game in the matchup. Let's transition now to our high school football coverage here. On NBC5 and 105.3, the fans, big game Friday morning, and a fantastic game at our NBC5 big game Friday game of the week this week. Two of the best programs in the state of Texas, uh, Frisco Lone Star hosting at Denton Ryan. This game is being played at Ford Center at the Star in Frisco, the home of the Dallas Cowboys. Both of these teams only have one loss. They're undefeated in district play. Their losses came against great programs way back early in the season, so they're rolling right now. They put up big points on offense. They don't allow a lot of points on defense. This is about as big as it gets, and I thought it was really cool to hear from both teams' coaches, Dave Hennigan from Denton Ryan and Jeff Rayburn from Frisco Lone Star, just kind of hearing about the buildup to this game in their locker room and the anticipation for a district championship game in the home of the Cowboys. Going to be rocking. Both teams good. Here's what uh, both coaches had to say. Again, this is Dave Hennigan from Ryan, followed by Jeff Rayburn from Frisco Lone Star. I'd be lying if I said the energy wasn't a little different this week. The kids know who they're playing. They know they have a tremendous challenge. It's two of the top teams in the state in our classification that we're very familiar with, you know, for the district championship and in, in, in indoors. So it's going to be a great environment. Um, so they know that. We have so many kids on our team uh, that have played in big football games. Uh, we played against Ryan for mul- multiple years, um, had some great battles. So our kid knows what's in front of him. Um, it's about preparing at a high level and getting out there on, on Friday night and playing our best football. Can't wait to be there for our big game Friday game of the week tonight. And it's interesting because the game is being played at Ford Center at the Star. And, man, every time I see a high school game there, KG, I walk around and I think, can you imagine being like a 16-year-old <laughs> kid and playing a high school football at a venue like this? That has to be an unbelievable opportunity. And for it to be the final high school football game of the regular season, district championship at the home of the Cowboys doesn't get much better than that. And you said it. This game determines the district champion. They will be the number one seed, whoever wins between Ditton Ryan and Frisco Lone Star. So not a, a better atmosphere to play in than to play in Jerry's place and be able to have a district championship on the line and a number one seed on the line. should be a lot of fun out there. And speaking of playing the game in Ford Center at the Star in Frisco, I thought Dave Hennigan, the head coach at Denton Ryan, had an interesting thought when I asked him, hey, do your kids get more geared up, you know, more fired up for a game like this at Ford Center? Listen to what he had to say. We played there last year. We played there the year before. We played at AT&T multiple times last year. 
you know, we don't, our kids have been in those environments. That's not going to phase them at all. You know, the one thing we do talk about in regard to the, the, the venue is the noise. I mean, that place gets loud. And so that's really the, it's not necessarily, hey, we're going to play at the star, blah, blah, blah. It's, you better be communicating. Very interesting to kind of hear that perspective that it's not that it's the aura of the environment there at the home of the Cowboys. Instead, it's the fact that the place gets really loud. And he's right. I mean, that is a stadium that, by the way, I just, I, every time I have the chance to mention, I want to, I want to mention how smart it was for the Cowboys and oh, yeah. the city of Frisco, you know, Frisco ISD yep. to come together to have the combination of those two things. The Cowboys get a fantastic facility. The, the, the students and, and Frisco get a chance to play in this like unbelievable venue that is so awesome. It's loud. It's an NFL quality mini stadium, if you will. There, if you haven't seen a game there tonight, might be a great chance to go and check it out in a, in a game like that. But again, that's our big game Friday game of the week. I'll be live there at Ford Center at the Star in Frisco at four, five, six, and ten p.m. on NBC Five. Can't wait to be there tonight. And then after the game, I'll be on. Uh, the Sports Day HS Facebook page with my buddy Corbett Smith from the Dallas Morning News. We recap the night in high school football, the final night of the regular season. Hard to believe we're at this point, man. And and we're just kind of rolling along here. You know, the playoffs yeah. getting ready to start for a lot of teams. But Coppell taking on Flower Mound. This is a win and you're in, lose and you're out game. I'm also very interested to see what happens in this game because these are two pretty good teams as well. Yeah, a lot on the line. <laughs> you were talking about with the uh, the Frisco Star game and and, and Den game. Imagine not being uh, phased by playing inside of <laughs> you know Jerry's place. Yeah. I thought I found that to be to be interesting. But right. yeah, but but Capel and, and Fire Mountain, Look, playoffs on the line. Have an opportunity to win and you're in. Loser goes home. It doesn't get much bigger than that, especially in Texas high school football. And the and both teams have the opportunity to do that tonight. I want to also mention quickly a game that's already happened. You know, a game on Thursday night that was a shocker to me. Frisco Liberty taking on undefeated Lovejoy. Lovejoy is one of the best stories in high school football in the state of Texas, and a team that has a legitimate chance to make a deep run in the playoffs and maybe even contend for a state championship. But Frisco Liberty upset them in the final game of the regular season on Thursday night. Uh, Frisco Liberty's quarterback Keldrick Luster had over 400 total yards in the game, 300 rushing or passing, excuse me, over 100 yards rushing and rushed for the game-winning touchdown with two minutes left. They win 27-24. And this is the Frisco Liberty team, you might remember, that doesn't have the number one player in the state. Their wide receiver, Evan Stewart, uh, quit or just a couple of weeks ago. He's the one who has a couple of million followers on social media. He's a big social media star, choosing basically any college in the country. And he left the team during the middle of the season. And Frisco Liberty has found a way to keep on rolling. They get a huge win last night. Awesome to see Frisco Liberty get that win. But I still expect Lovejoy to be a team that's going to be able to roll going forward from there. But upsets, man. It's just it's what makes football so great at this time of year, yeah? Love the chaos when it comes to either college or high school football. And these kids have a real opportunity to make a name for themselves, get into the playoffs, but also start to make you know deep runs in the state playoffs. It should be a lot of fun over the next few weeks. Also, be sure to check out our Inside High School Sports Show. It's every Saturday on NBC5, 30 minutes of high school football coverage at 6.30 p.m. on NBC5. Can't wait to be back in action with that this week. Hey, huge news, obviously, this week in the college football world as TCU and head coach Gary Patterson decide to part ways after more than two decades working together there in Fort Worth. Gary, as you heard from Deontay Lee from Pro Football Focus earlier in the show, is one of the best defensive minds in modern football. Deontay said he was second behind only Nick Saban. I mean, that's pretty high praise. Has found a way to make TCU into a consistent contender. Things not going great this season in his final year there at TCU. But he's out. He's no longer going to be coaching the team. And I thought it was interesting listening to uh, TCU Athletic Director Jeremiah Donati he was asked about whether or not he believes Gary Patterson is going to continue to coach somewhere else after now no longer being the head coach at TCU. Here's what Jeremiah Donati had to say. He certainly could. I mean, if you, you all know Gary. He's a, he's a young 61, and uh, I wouldn't put anything past Coach Patterson to, to coach again uh, in college, pro. Um, I know he has a lot of other interests too, and so you know, I, I hope he takes some time to think about what he wants to do because um, he's got a lot to offer the game of football and I don't think that uh, that's over it's going to be very strange seeing TCU football as they run on the field there at Amon G. Carter Stadium and not see Gary Patterson leading the way 
All right, Chris, you're our resident TCU homer, you know, and so I just I have to get your perspective on the decision here for TCU to part ways with Gary Patterson after what was just an unbelievable run for both sides in his time there in Fort Worth. Well, I mean, I think it's obviously disappointing. The last four seasons have not gone up to expectations, especially this year. You had a little bit more of a veteran team, especially offensively. A lot of people were picking them as quote-unquote dark horse uh, contenders in the Big 12, and, you know, they've struggled. They've only beaten Texas Tech so far this season. It's going to be a struggle for them to get bowl eligible. In fact, they probably won't be bowl eligible this year. But I think a little bit of the fan reaction has been a little on the harsh side. Uh, I think people are forgetting that without Gary Patterson, TCU is probably one of these schools fighting for air in Conference USA or the American or one of these other places. He got them to the Big 12 from Conference USA to the Mountain West to six weeks in the Big East to the, yes. big, to the, <laughs> right. to the big 12. Right. Um, so, you know, he's... I hope that the relationship is still good enough that whether he decides to go somewhere else or not, he's still, when he does hang it up for good, that he's back around the program on a regular basis uh, and you know can provide some guidance to whoever is, maybe not become the athletic director like a Barry Alvarez, but you know some sort of role where he can kind of be the elder statesman of TCU football moving forward. Well, there's a statue outside the stadium. Right. So that's you know, all, so that's whether he there. comes back or not, he's, that, that's going to be there. No question. And... This is an enormous hire for TCU now because if they get this wrong, it very easily could quickly become a situation where it's like, oh, the only reason TCU was competitive was because Gary Patterson's a great coach. They have to land a fantastic coach right now because if they don't, I mean, it's it's not easy for a school like TCU to stay competitive with the Texas's Oklahoma. I know they're leaving, but I'm saying still – it's going to be tough for them to, to remain competitive in the Big 12, even though this has been a down year. Most years, they're in the thick of things in the Big 12, and I think Gary Patterson's been a big reason why. They're going to have to find another coach who can do that for them. Yeah, obviously the most successful coach in TCU program history was Gary Patterson, 22 years there, you know, being able to you know send guys like Andy Dalton and other guys to the pros and those kinds of things. And that's why I think you hear some of the names and the rumors of names like a Kellen Moore, like a Deion Sanders. Like you're hearing – big names because TCU has earned the right to be able to be in the conversation in the Big 12 and a program that still has a lot to offer in college football. And for Gary Patterson personally, I think he still has a lot to offer the game of football, whether it be going into television, being an analyst, or eventually coming back to the college game and being a coach. There's a lot that Gary Patterson still has there. But TCU fashions itself as what could be one of the premier teams now in the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leaves. TCU has been very thankful to Patterson publicly on mm -hmm. social media, things like that this week. I'm interested to see how they handle things Saturday at their game as they get ready to host a really tough Baylor Bears team. Baylor favored in the game by six and a half points. Baylor's only lost one time. They've beaten two ranked teams this year. They have OU next week, so maybe that's a little bit in TCU's favor is that it would be a little easy to maybe overlook a 3-5 and five TCU team. But you know, at this point, I have to think that we agree that Bowl, bowl game is likely not going to happen for TCU. I mean, they're 3-5. and five. Let's see, they have Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas, and Iowa State left. And they have to pretty much come close to winning out on that stage. It's not going to happen. And so, you know, I, I'm, I think Baylor's going to win pretty big in that game. I, I like this Baylor team. What do you think about the matchup there? I love Baylor. I love their ground game. I love the way that they attack the football. Dave Aranda in the conversation for national coach of the year down there at Baylor. He's done a terrific job defense, turning that pro that program around there, though. So I do believe Baylor handles that business this weekend. I mean, well, first, Chris. Oh, obviously, you? Baylor. Obviously, yeah. Baylor, he said. No, great, <laughs> what a great, hater. Great, great running game with the two running backs in Bohannon. TCU's really struggled to stop the run this year. I'm just giving you a chance to give some optimism here. Be like, oh, the Frogs are going to fight for Gary. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Jerry Kill comes out and has him ready to go. That's right. That's yeah. take it over hey, for now, yeah. There you go. Hey, man, we'll see. No, I like Baylor big, I think. Uh, SMU coming off their first loss of the season against Houston. Uh, they are on the road. A four-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Memphis. You know Tanner Mordecai's played great. Two touch, or second in the NCAA with 32 touchdown passes this year. Something to also watch. Memphis's quarterback, Seth Hennigan, true freshman, is Denton Ryan's coach, Dave Hennigan's son. They won the state championship together, wow. Denton Ryan. He goes to Memphis. Nobody expected him to play this season. They thought it would be like one or two years. Wait his turn. 
and he's been the starter this year, played pretty well, but he was hurt, missed last week, and he's a game-time decision this week. Interested to see if the Mustangs can keep it rolling because Sonny Dykes, his name is on the TCU list too. I mean, what a weird situation right now to be rolling at SMU and to have one of your biggest rivals, you know, kind of floating it out there that they're interested in you. I mean, that's that's an interesting deal right now there at SMU. Yeah, it was a devastating loss for SMU on the road last week to Houston. You kick it to Marcus Jones. He returns the, you know, the kickoff for a touchdown. I was hoping to see SMU get to that matchup against Cincinnati to determine, you know, supremacy in the American Conference and try to get to a New Year's Six game. That still could be a possibility if they beat Cincinnati later on, but they got to handle business this week against Memphis. Meanwhile, uh, Texas A&M is hosting Auburn, and the stadium there in College Station was sold out, like, right away immediately. The place is going to be rocking. It's a top 25 matchup in the SEC. Two good, not great teams, but good teams that are having good seasons. Um, A&M is favored by four and a half points in the game. The Aggies have won three straight games. That started with that upset win, of course, against Alabama. I love seeing, you know, big-time matchups like this. I can't wait for this game on Saturday. Can Texas A&M stop dual-threat quarterback Bo Nix, who's been really good for them this year? I feel like Bo Nix has been the quarterback at Auburn since, like, 2004. Forever. That's what it feels like. But uh, they got to deal with him on Saturday. Kyle Field's going to be rocking, though, down there in College Station. And finally... The Texas Longhorns are going to try to get things right on the road at Iowa State. They've lost four straight games, Chris. I mean, right now, I, I am a huge, you know, I'm a believer in right. Steve Sarkeesian. I think from a schematic standpoint, he's a great coach, did great things in Alabama, and at previous stops before that. They've got to find a way to stop the bleeding right now, and it's really just in the fourth quarter. I mean, they're, right. they're like leading every game, and then they fall apart. Right. They've blown three straight double-digit leads. Wow. Have the Longhorns, and... I don't know if it gets any easier this week. Iowa State is a really talented team. They struggled out of the gate, but they're playing well right now. And you got to start looking at whether Texas is going to be bowl eligible this year. They've got a tough schedule to go. They've still got this Iowa State game. Kansas is likely a win. But they've got West Virginia and Kansas State who have played pretty much everyone in the conference pretty close this year. So we'll see. We all wanted to know what the Red River Showdown was going to do to that team and the morale of the Texas mm-hmm. Longhorns locker room. It just hasn't felt the same since then, has it? I mean, no. Yeah. And they've had some internal problems this week with, you know, Steve Sarkeesian getting into it with one of his players, some other extracurricular stories if you want to look at the internet and find out what's going on uh, with Texas. So they've got a lot to clean up Enough right now. Enough with that monkey business, man. <laughs> I'm just saying they got a lot to clean up right now, and hopefully a win for them this weekend will uh, – clean up some of that distraction okay as we wrap up things this morning on nbc5 and big game or excuse me 105.3 the fans big game friday morning we like to wrap up the show most weeks with the best thing we saw all week it can be a sports thing a non-sports thing and we're going to kick things off with ukg go ahead let us know what is the best thing you saw this week as with the calendar transitioned from october into november uh the words safe to say coming out of the mouth of jack prescott that he's going to play on Sunday against the Denver Broncos. That's the best thing I heard. It's all week that four is back for the Cowboys coming up on Sunday. What is the best thing you saw all week, Mr. Chris Blake? I'm going baseball, and it's not the team Mm. that won the World Series. The best thing I saw is the team that lost the World Series. (laughs) Ensuring the Astros did not win again. I'm very thankful to Freddie Freeman and the Atlanta Braves for securing that. Happy for Ron Washington, too. Me oh, too. Ron yeah, Washington, no doubt. One, one <laughs> of our for favorites, Wash. for sure. Yeah. You know, it was so cool to see him celebrating. Um, you know, I'm going the same, same direction. I'm going baseball for two reasons. Number one, uh, my wife grew up a huge Atlanta Braves fan. I oh, mean, wow. going to games since she was three years old, making the drive from Virginia all the way down to Atlanta to get a chance to see the Braves play. So for them to win only their second World Series as the Atlanta Braves, which is hard to believe. It was hard to remember... They were so good in the 90s, and they only won one World Series in that stretch. The second thing was, as part of that World Series, the relief pitcher, Chris Martin, the Mm -hmm. former relief pitcher for the Texas Rangers, if you don't know his story, it's unbelievable. 11 years ago, he was a UPS driver here in Arlington because he had arm problems and retired from baseball, started playing catch with some guys there in the warehouse at UPS, And they're like, dude, you're kind of throwing kind of hard. You might want to. So he goes and does a workout. He gets signed by a pro team in Japan. And then the Rangers sign him from the pro baseball team in Japan. And then he got traded to the Atlanta Braves. And now he's a World Series champion. So in 11 years, he's gone from UPS driver to World Series champion. That's incredible. Sports doesn't get much better than that. I mean, that is why we love sports 
And it's just another reason why, man, I just, I love every single, you never know. You never know the underdog stories and where it's going to come from. And so, yeah, just, wow. It's going to be awesome to see where they go from here. You know, the baseball season just ending now, and now we're going to kind of transition, seeing a little more of the Mavs and the Stars and how it's going there. And I know you're all over the Mavs. I mean, and KG's a great follow if you love Mavs basketball, by the way. Follow him on Twitter. But football, still the center right now, man. The Dallas Cowboys, let's see if they can keep on rolling. Looking for win number seven in a row. We'll be all over it here on NBC5 and 105.3 The Fan. Thank you for joining us here on Big Game Friday morning. We will see you next time.